Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity. I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. Governments cannot eliminate volatility in markets. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Today we're reflecting on the year that was in politics and what a year it was. Three Prime Ministers, four Chancellors, an ill-fated mini-budget, among so much more. Caroline, I only moved back to this country this year. (laughs) Has it always been like this? Uh, Yeah, look, I stumbled into 2022, kind of bleary-eyed after the pandemic, along with the rest of you, thinking... Frankly, things couldn't get any worse in the UK. There was a sort of sense that maybe we were uh, over the health crisis and we were on an upward path. But I think actually what shocked us in the world of politics has been the pace of change, the sheer instability in government that we've seen this year. And then, of course, that phone call that I got from a friend of mine uh, who is a comic trying to extract out of me some funny lines, something hilarious to say about the bond market. What did you tell them? Uh, Extremely difficult. He (laughs) he went away with, I think, some few ideas, a few ideas about making jokes about the guilt market. Yeah. Who would have thought that that would be something that people would be thinking about in kind of the mainstream in the UK, the guilt market? Yeah. And the the headlines that were made from it and people trying to understand what LDIs were (laughs) and, you know, why the UK's borrowing costs going up so much seemed to be a big problem and what it was that triggered it. I mean, we sat watching that that budget being announced. We brought it to you live on, on Bloomberg Radio. And listening to the list of measures being announced, and, and the, there were the things that had been trailed in advance that we'd mm. expected, and then there was something else, and then there was something else, and then there was something else, and the list just kept going in terms of announcements that were going to cost money. And notably, of course, we as we know, the, the, the OBR forecast wasn't there. That was part of the problem that led to the ultimate downfall of that government. I think I have never in my life spent so much time thinking about what Conservative MPs are going to do next because there felt like there were so many moments of crisis in the party where they were looking to either yeah. get rid of one leader or find a new one. Yes. Or, and, and we spoke to so many on this programme who were support backing candidates and then changing their minds. minds. I know the pinnacle of that surely is the surreal experience that James Walcock, our producer, and I um, had when we went up to Birmingham for the Conservative Party conference. And all of a sudden... I think that really was the weekend where the Labour Party seemed to be scrubbing up actually as an opposition. And I think it dawned on uh, the Conservative MPs, many of whom actually stayed away from that conference because of the turmoil, that really they were in quite a lot of difficulty in terms of the polling, in terms of policy, uh, and that despite that long, hot summer of debating between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, both of whom then became Prime Minister, um, that, that actually we didn't have a concrete plan for what the, the administration was going to do. And, and that has been something now that the Conservatives have been trying to repair for some months. And remember the slow 
decline and end of Boris Johnson's mm. term in office. I mean, he was prime minister, on, you know, for, for most of the year, yeah. as it turned out, uh, despite the fact that it felt like as the party gate uh, revelations were being rolled out, as we had the whole Pestminster scandal, mm. that, you know, all of those things were building up for such a long period of time. And then it felt like all of a sudden everything happened at once. Well, look, nobody knows the corridors of Westminster better than our mm-hmm. UK political editor, Kitty Donaldson. She's been covering the highs and lows of this roller coaster year. You and Potts and I sat down with her to discuss her highlights. We started by asking her about the biggest surprise for her in the world of UK politics. I think the biggest surprise was that we managed to get through three prime ministers, right? Like, usually the Britain's pretty um, stable as a democracy. And, and here we are at the end of the year and, and Rishi's hanging on by his fingertips. There must have been moments when you thought... Surely not again. I mean, the the party gate stuff just kind of it just went on and on, didn't it? At the beginning of the year, it was just kind of shocking, and everyone saw it through the kind of lens of of how miserable they were. And actually, that was quite interesting because then we moved once we kind of moved out of out of lockdown, um, everybody kind of like I think collectively kind of moved on from that fairly quickly. Just sort of like put it behind them, didn't want to think about it, and that helped Boris Johnson, right? His, his sort of peculiar brand of boosterism fitted the mood and people were prepared if not to forgive then to kind of like collectively kind of forget what had happened and that I think accounts partly for why he hung on for for much longer than we thought he would. I mean it felt like we were talking about you know the threats to the prime minister you know repeatedly but when did you think he was going to go or did or did you not think he was going to go? The minute Rishi Sunak resigned I thought that's it right he's got to go like you can't survive your chancellor resigning it's just beyond belief right anyone anyone else would have gone but but this went to the kind of heart of what boris johnson was like or is like that he doesn't behave by normal political rules and his team around him they clung on for three days you know even as we had this kind of cascade of ministers resigning it, it took a while for them to leave and actually the same was was true later of of liz trust i think there's a kind of mentality in downing street that once you're in there you're surrounded by supporters because obviously all these people owe their their livings to you. Actually, it's kind of hard to tell when the when the mood in the in the country has changed, when the mood in the Tory parliamentary party has changed. And actually, as a journalist, especially this year, I spent a lot of my time talking to Tory MPs and judging the mood. And in some ways, Tory MPs ring me up and say, "What are my colleagues saying?" Because they don't talk to as many of their colleagues as I do, and I talk to people on all different wings of the party. And so, for when, so when Liz Truss resigned, there's all this pressure, right? You know, she had the disastrous budget and then disastrous Tory conference and, all, you know, people were briefing against her for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then there was a kind of climactic moment when they had this vote of confidence in the, in the House of Commons. And this is like my, this is my overriding memory of the year. There was kind of quite a lot of confusion about what's going on. And all these Tory MPs were standing around in little groups um, in this place called the Members' Lobby, which is the kind of antechamber to the um, to the House of Commons. It's where they go in and out to vote. And usually after a vote, they'd sort of vanish and disappear. But that evening, they were just standing around in little groups, kind of like this is air of absolute shock. This trust uh, is Chief Whit went in and said in the in the voting lobbies, right? So right, that's it. I quit. I'm going. Basically, because she's been completely undermined. And Liz Trust grabbed hold of her arm. It's Wendy Morton, which is mm. what grabbed hold of her arm, tried to stop her leaving, and 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 then consequently, like went out of the voting lobby and didn't vote, and then had to come back later and vote. So it was like absolute chaos. And then there were 
claims and counterclaims of, of bullying in the voting lobbies, of, of MPs being pushed through, having their arms literally bent behind their back. And then I went I went to uh, the bar downstairs in the House of Commons after this kind of crazy night, and there were Tory MPs crying. And I was like, this, this is absolutely ridiculous, right? This is a, a saga we're getting. What, what happened after that? In the middle of the night, we got a message saying, you know, all those MPs who voted against us will be disciplined. And when I woke up and, and, and read that, I just like, I actually just laughed out loud because what I'd realised that they hadn't realised in number 10 is that it was over, right? The whole of the political class knew it was over, but it was just a matter of number 10 catching up with that. And so that's been the kind of theme of this year that, that number 10 had been trying to catch up with where the mood shifted in, in the party. How many times this year did you have to say in interviews to people, this surely can't go on? Because it feels like there were so many crisis moments where we felt somebody or one or another was going to be resigning from some position of high office. I haven't kept a tally because, I, you know, I'd, I'd run out of fingers, right? So, but it's just, it's just been, been absolutely ridiculous. And also MPs, you know, they would roll their eyes and say, look, this can't go on. Like at various points in the year, this is ridiculous. Boris can't go on, Liz can't go on. And then until there's a kind of collective will for something to happen, it did go on. And so it's kind of part of my job is trying to work out at which point the tide is going out. And and that's that's actually been quite tricky at some points, right? Because I just remember like every day during the, the kind of tail end for the Boris Johnson premiership, it was, is he going to survive? Is he going to survive? And trying to work out where that kind of collective opinion lies. That's the kind of the hard but, but really interesting bit of my job. Most of the action has obviously been with the government and the Conservative Party, as is often the case, but particularly, I think, this year. What's been the story for Labour this year? It feels in many ways that the party and Keir Starmer have kind of got their act together, although it should be pointed out that that, that Starmer was did have his own sort of mini scandal, didn't he, with, with Beergate, which turned out to be sort of OK in the end. Yes. I mean, look back at that. That seems like a kind of storm in a teacup now, right? But at the time... We thought he might have to resign. In fact, he said he would resign if the police found out that he'd broken the law. And and quite a lot of his team thought that he'd overreached himself and he didn't need to do that. But I think actually it was probably quite, I mean, it played out for him in the end, right? And he didn't need to resign. But probably quite, a, it was a good way of differentiating himself from Boris Johnson and saying, you know, I, am, I follow the rules. I am a decent, straightforward kind of guy to, um, to misquote Tony Blair. You know, that is that is the sort of his kind of mo, and actually he's done quite well. And there's a kind of mood shift. I think I, it's quite hard to pinpoint. I, I the, re, the, the the moment I thought that pinpointed when Starmer's um, party started a bit serious, uh, taking itself seriously, um, was actually a moment in the House of Commons when Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, um, she made that. Um, she made that comment about tofu eating wokarati. I don't know if you remember. Mm. Um, she was she was sort of slagging off the blob on the left, and instead of reacting, the shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper just stood up and laughed in her face, and and this kind of went viral on Twitter, and it was it was a kind of a small thing, but it, it just made me think actually that shows a kind of self confidence in the Labour Party that we haven't seen for a while, and they've been building on that throughout the year. Has your threshold for what constitutes a big political story just completely shifted this year <laughs> yeah yeah um do you just find yeah, yourself saying out. oh only one person's <laughs> resigned you know uh, that isn't a big deal yeah yeah exactly it's only a junior minister i'm not getting out of bed for that no 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 it, it has shifted the dial but also 
it's been kind of weird in these last few weeks, right? I've I've kind of felt a kind of sense of anti-climax, and I'm sort of sitting around going, "Oh, no one's resigned today." You get you get kind of um, addicted to the adrenaline of it, and then when you know when you get a relatively stable government under Rishi Sunak, it's all a bit sort of, "Oh, okay." disappointing (laughs) success is more than a destination it's a path you take one step at a time it's dedication it's fortitude and it's the work passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition that's what stiefel has been doing for over 130 years and it's why stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country and stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. 
And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You, you mentioned Rishi Sunak hanging on by his fingertips a little earlier. Is, you know, looking into next year, does does his premiership look steady? Will he make it as far as the next election? Well, this is a kind of open question at the moment. Um, I think if you look at the polling, he's actually much more popular than the, the party as a whole, which goes in his favour. But there's still quite a, a large rump of the Tories who think he's boring, think he's you know, not political enough. And there's talk still of, of, of Boris Johnson coming back and, you know, being uh, Rishi being removed a year away from the election. If we assume that the election is late um, 2024, um, then so, so if you put Boris in place next autumn, maybe, that's the kind of rationale I hear from some people. And and I, I'm not sure it's true, but it's is, they're still is, talking about is, it. Is there any Is there any real prospect of that? I'd like to say no, but equally, these guys, and by these guys, I mean the Tories, if, you, if you're staring down the barrel of an electoral defeat, which they are, all the polls show that they are, then if you think that Boris won you your seat in 2019, and let's be honest, he won an 80-seat majority, including all those red wall seats up in the north, then maybe you think the calculation's better to have him. Um, he's had a period out of office, you know, People have got short memories, you know. He's got that charm, whereas Rishi's a very much a technocrat. That's what that's that's the calculation. We've been talking so much about the political upheaval this year. In terms of issues, what kind of stands out for you in terms of political issues that dominated this year, or perhaps ones we should have spent more time talking about and and thinking about, but were distracted by the various changing of the guard. The key one that went unnoticed, right, was in the in the summer when all the energy companies were, were saying to um, the Tories, and I remember Martin Lewis, you know, the money-saving expert, saying, come on, stop talking to each other, you know, you need to bang your heads together, energy prices are going to go through the roof this winter. And there was this kind of hiatus while they, you know, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak tore strips off each other, and no one was really thinking about it. And you know, it did allow other countries to to secure energy price uh, packages with them, with um, gas supplying nations earlier. You know, there's a sort of very real world impact of all the kind of infighting and nonsense. Not to, I mean, not to mention the kind of disaster of this trust premiership, which cost I don't know, ten billion or something in terms of 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 um, economic damage and. And the, the kind of knock-on effect of, you know, on everyone's um, uh, mortgage rates and so forth and interest uh, payments. So there are real-world impacts to the kind of the fighting. What's it been like covering covering all of this? You've been doing this in this game for uh, for a little while. H- has it been fun? 
yeah, I've been doing this 20 years and it's been really fun um, in the sense that you're trying to you're trying to second guess what's about to happen, which is not really what news is supposed to be about. You're supposed to write it down when it happens, right? But this year has been predict, trying to predict where things will fall and then get ahead of it. So, you know, knowing where, for instance, who, who would jump in and um, try and challenge Boris Johnson um, and, and what would happen if Liz Truss were knocked from office, you know, trying to think a few steps ahead every every time, just so that we had our reporters in the right place and so that uh, we, we were aware of what might happen. And that's what we'll carry on doing next year. Looking ahead towards 2023, again, in terms of the issues, what, what will we be watching closely as we move into the new year? I'll be watching the economy, obviously, um, and whether things improve a bit. For I mean, this is what the Tories are hoping ahead of the election. We're basically into the kind of long campaign uh, next year. So I think I'll be doing quite a lot of traveling around the country and talking to people and seeing um, where the mood music is. Um, I've been thinking quite a lot recently about about the 90s and about the kind of when Tony Blair swept to, swept to power, how there was a kind of cultural shift towards being it being kind of fashionable to be part of new labor um you know people singing things can only get better and tony blair himself appearing on youth tv and and radio one and all these things that keir Starmer has yet to do and i'm just wondering whether that even though he's ahead in the polls uh, keir Starmer, that is whether he needs to translate uh, get some of that kind of star energy that tony blair had and whether that will kind of cement a labor landslide in um in late 24 or early 25 mm, tricky to find that stardust though isn't it give us a couple of names some rising stars to watch out for in 2023 who's who's on the ascendancy at the moment in terms of labor i think it's fairly obvious that wed streeting who's the shadow health secretary he's he's really one to watch he's probably uh labor's leader after Keir, I, I would say, um, although he'll have a lot of challenge from elsewhere. Um, and on the Tory side, oh, that's interesting. Um, quite a lot of the younger ones are, are, are stepping down, actually, because, you know, they, they, they've done this for a few years and they think they can go off and get jobs elsewhere. So it's kind of harder to say. Um, and this cabinet seems to have been around for, you know, the people in it seem to have been around forever. So um, I have to come back to you in the new year with a, with a good thought on that. The other issue that sort of resurfaced with a vengeance, or many would argue never went away, was Brexit. And we did start to see somewhat of, uh, you know, people admitting in high places that it hasn't been good for the UK economy in particular. Are we still going to be talking about Brexit in 2023 or or might we start to move on, do you think? (laughs) Please make it stop. Um, I think I think it will. We will be talking about it in the first quarter of next year because uh, the government and the EU are uh, expected to come to some sort of deal on the Northern Ireland Protocol in February time. And that's because um, in at Easter, which is, I think, April next year, um, President Joe Biden is coming over for a visit to Northern Ireland or to Ireland to kind of celebrate um, the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. So everybody wants it all done and wrapped up um, well in advance of Easter. So I think after Easter, it will drop away as an issue. 
So that was our UK political editor, Kitty Donaldson, speaking to myself and you and Potts. Really interesting to hear Kitty's thoughts on what's going to happen with the Brexit story next year. Of course, it really did blow up this year as we had so many policymakers in particular start to admit openly about the damage that Brexit has caused to the economy. The Mm. 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement is a really important date that Kitty highlighted there as well. That's going to be a moment where the hope is there'll be progress on the Northern Ireland Protocol, that you know some sort of agreement or resolution will have been found with the European Union uh, to try and make those trade rules work better as well. Interesting to note the appointment of the new US envoy to Northern Ireland. There hasn't been one in over a year. Um, So the appointment of Joe Kennedy, the third part of the Kennedy political dynasty, uh, to that role is going to reinsert, I suppose, a, a face to the US involvement in those negotiations as well. We know Joe Biden's taken a huge interest in that and that's going to be a big foreign policy issue uh, for the UK next year and having a a face and and such a big name attached to that is going to make that a very interesting aspect of that story. Remember, it was George Mitchell who was one of the key people that managed to negotiate the Good Friday Agreement 25 years ago, almost 25 years ago now. Mm. Uh, So that'll be one thing to watch out for. This amid the idea that perhaps warming relations with the EU, Leo Varadkar is back as Irish Taoiseach Prime Minister now, which is going to you know reset a little bit the relationship between London and Dublin too. Well, maybe, but I think, look, one of the really big moments for Bloomberg um, in London over the last year was the analysis that we did going back years on the impact actually of Brexit on the economy. It's something that was picked up by loads of other media organisations because we crunched the numbers um, and, and I think it also actually started off a conversation that has been... Uh, buried in a lot of ways in the political discussion, which is that economically Brexit has been immensely damaging and will continue to be very damaging for the UK economy. So I, I do think that's the sort of flip side. Brexit's never going to go away in terms of the economic impact mm. on the UK. And of course it dominated so many political conversations yes. this year. Think of Lizzie Burden's interview with Kemi Baden, ah. the International Trade Secretary, where she wasn't convinced that the OBR had correctly calculated the impact of Brexit either. That sparked a whole political firestorm. Parliamentary questions being asked in the back of that Bloomberg interview um, as well. Just one of the people that we spoke to this year that really stood out. Yeah, um, and also, of course, we did do uh, Harriet Baldwin. She spoke to us, the Treasury, the new Treasury mm-hmm. uh, Select Committee, the Justice Minister, the City Minister, Andrew Griffiths. Um, you know, you heard them all speaking to us uh, over the last year. But I think we also have to have a word in there for, for Labour MPs because, as Kitty was mentioning, hard to sort of see up-and-coming Conservative stars. A lot of uh, them are actually fleeing or saying that they, you know, are not going to stand at the next election. So we had Labour's Jonathan Ashworth, for example, some just one of the kind of mm. shadow ministers speaking. Rebecca Long-Bailey, someone very yeah. prominent to the party. Really great to get her input into how things are turning out, uh, turning out for the, the party as well as they sort of re, really reposition themselves to be the party of government in the next election. And we've seen this play out in Prime Minister's mm-hmm. questions as well, something that we're now bringing to you weekly on the programme too. So getting that impression of how Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak face off could be a really interesting dynamic heading into that next election. Uh, funniest interview we We've done though. That's got to go to Lembit Opic, hasn't it? The conversation. Do you remember about the health secretary, former health secretary Matt mm. Hancock, someone going into the politics. jungle? Yes, yeah. yeah, someone else going. Lembit was just hilarious, uh, and I didn't realise how close a friend actually he was to Matt Hancock. I, I, well, I think what was interesting about that is he did give some quite cogent analysis mm. on on the mindset of going into a program like I'm a Celebrity, which looks to many of us like just ritual humiliation. <laughs> but the idea that that Matt Hancock would go into it because 
he can have this, you know, different vision and also perhaps a vision for his own career as well. I just want to mention one other piece, which was kind of a story that we talked about an awful lot, is Bloomberg's Harry Wilson delving into what Nigel Farage's investment newsletter uh, and the recommendations he made in it and, and finding out that perhaps they weren't the best investment tips uh, that you could get. It was it was he, a great piece of uh, analysis. He, yeah, it was. He tracked, if you put 100 grand to work on Nigel Farage's uh, sort of recommendations or the tips on the organisation that he is sort of affiliated with in terms of this newsletter. Yeah, I, I, th- I think actually, frankly, only Bloomberg would do something quite so technical and I was really pleased to have it on. Well, that is it from us for today and for this year. If you like the programme, you can subscribe, give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Woolcock, Marufal Hussein and John Wasserman were on sound. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, we'll be back in the new year, of course, with more politics. Thank you so much for listening this year. We're really looking forward to bringing you much more in 2023. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.